to Unity Presbyterian Church online. This week in worship, Pastor David takes a look at the parable that talks about building bigger barns. Let's listen. Growing up in Seattle, one of my favorite things each summer to do was pick blackberries. Yeah, blackberries like this grew everywhere. I could be walking home from school and there would be blackberry bushes just growing wildly that I could stop and kind of look for the biggest, juiciest berry and pick a couple and, and then go home. These things, and I, mean, I don't exaggerate when I say this, they grow everywhere around Seattle. And I loved it. Although one summer I went to volunteer with an organization called Earth Corps. And their purpose was to simply take care of the earth in and around Seattle. So I showed up ready to help. I had my work gloves on and my raincoat because it's Seattle, it was raining. And I said, what are we doing today? How can I help? And the representatives of Earth Corps pointed to some blackberry bushes. And they said, see those there? I said, yeah, yeah, I see them. They said, we're tearing those out today. I said, what? Why? Why are we tearing out blackberry bushes? And they said, oh yeah, to the roots, we are tearing them out. And that's when I learned that these blackberry bushes were non-native. They were actually invasive to Washington state. And they grew so quickly and so tall that they could take over large swaths of land, edging out all the native plants and fruit. Well, we got a picture actually of us working and those behind us are the blackberry bushes. You can see they grew taller than us. And that was common all around this area. What I learned in that moment is that sometimes something can seem beautiful and attractive on the outside, but when you take a closer look, you realize, you know, that doesn't look like what I thought it actually did. You know, I looked at the blackberries and thought, beautiful. I'm glad these are everywhere. But upon closer inspection, I realized, wow, okay, these things are taking over and that's not a good thing. So I want you to think of other times in your life where you've seen something on the surface and go, wow, that's great, that's beautiful, that's a good thing. But then when you leaned in or studied it or was around it for a while, you realize that's not as good as I once thought. I want you thinking about that today because I believe that that is the central truth that Jesus will be trying to teach in this morning's parable. Here's the scene for you. Jesus is teaching a crowd of several thousand people. So picture several thousand people. He's teaching and he, he's going through stories and parables like he often does. And then right in the middle of teaching, he's interrupted. He's interrupted by a man who makes a statement. Here's how it begins in Luke chapter 12, verse 13. It says, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Okay, what's really interesting is if you go and read the first 12 verses of this chapter, it's simply Jesus teaching, but Jesus is not teaching about money. Jesus is not teaching about inheritance. Jesus is not teaching about family conflict. So this topic really does come out of nowhere. It doesn't have anything to do with what Jesus was teaching about. But the person who lifts up this topic was obviously involved in some sort of family dispute. 
Someone had died, and now those who were left were fighting over the material possessions. I, I bet you've heard a story like that before, haven't you? Unfortunately, it happens quite often. I mean, I wonder if even in your family you've had an experience of someone passing away and, and then the family kind of fighting or, or bickering about what is left. It's, it's sad because it's a time that really should be about grieving, mourning, and, and celebrating the life of someone who's passed away, and yet so often it can turn into that bickering and arguing about who gets what. Well, what I'm wondering is why does this person interrupt Jesus as he's teaching in front of thousands of people and ask him to serve as mediator between him and his brother? We're not told why, what this man's motivation was, but we are told how Jesus responds to this interruption. Here's the next verse. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me as judge or arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. So we're not told anything about the specific situation of what was going on between these two brothers or what they were fighting over. But something tells me that the specifics is not what's important. The man's heart, what's going on inside of him, that's what's important. And Jesus knows this man. I mean, it's Jesus. He knows everybody. And so he knows this man's heart and responds in, I think, a very specific way. He really tells the man two things. The first thing Jesus tells him is, don't use me in your dispute with your brother. Uh, it makes me wonder if i reading into this that Jesus is saying, this is not the time or the place to be bringing up your individual um, kind of obstruction that you're having with your brother. I'm teaching right now in front of a crowd of thousands of people. This should be the focus. And the second thing that Jesus teaches is not just to the man, but then he pivots back to the whole crowd. And he says, be on your guard against greed. Yeah, I think Jesus could tell that in this particular situation, the dispute was not about fairness as much as it was about greed. And Jesus wanted nothing to do about that. Well, being mindful that there were thousands of people overhearing this conversation, Jesus then decides to tell a story, a parable, to illustrate the points that he just made. Here's the next verse. It says, And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. All right, so we have a person who's done really well in life. He is considered rich. And 2,000 years ago, being considered rich was having an abundant harvest. He had a really good year. Uh, the modern equivalent for us might be a person who, who says, wow, my stocks have done so well this year. I have a historic return on my investments. Or maybe it's a person, the modern equivalent, would be a person who sells their company and all of a sudden has a large windfall of income and says, whoa, I've really been blessed this year. What should I do with all of my income? 
So this scenario is that the man is looking at his crops, had no idea that he would take in as much as he's taking in, and basically wonders, what do I do with all of this abundance? I don't have even a place to put all of this surplus. So what should I do? Here's the next verse. It says, Then he said, This is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. So this man's solution, build bigger barns. Yes, he had such an abundance, a surplus of of wealth and of crops that the current barns he had were not big enough to store everything. So his solution is, well, let's just knock those buildings down. We'll, We'll tear down the current barns, and then we'll build bigger ones that can store everything. I thought maybe the modern equivalent for this would be accumulating so many possessions over the course of your life that at some point you say, okay, I don't have room to store everything. And instead of just going to get a storage unit, you say, let's knock down my current house, build a bigger house just to store everything that I've accumulated. Now, we could probably have a conversation about how much is too much in terms of physical accumulation. And that would be an important conversation to have. But I don't believe that that is the sole focus of why Jesus is sharing this parable. No, I think Jesus cares more about something else that's going on in this person, and it's his mindset. It's what he's thinking to himself, or basically the reason why he's choosing to build bigger barns. I think that's what Jesus is more concerned with. Because in this next verse, we get insight into the man's thinking. The next verse says, And I'll say to myself, You have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Well, to a casual observation, it could seem like this man is living the dream, isn't he? He's worked hard all his life. He got an abundant harvest, and now he doesn't have to work anymore. He he can be stress-free. He could just kick back and relax. He's, He's made it. Uh, the, the Bible says he can eat, drink, and be merry, which I think is Bible speak for time to go dr- grab a mojito on the beach and just relax for the rest of your life. That's the point that he has reached. Time to take life easy. Now, up until now, it almost seems like that man could be any one of us saying, yeah, I want to live this kind of American dream where I want to work hard. I want to earn all I can, and then if I can, I want to retire early and kick back on the beach. Doesn't that sound nice? But it turns out for this particular man that God has a different dream in mind. Here's the next verse. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared yourself. Yes, in this parable, the man dies that very night, and we're told, what is he now to do with his excessive crops? That would be like winning the lottery and then getting hit by a bus on your walk home. You say, really? What's the timing of that? 
What are the odds of that actually happening? He gets all this surplus, and then he dies that very night. This is the twist in the parable. And remember, every parable has a twist, and it's those twists that Jesus wants us to lean in, to say, oh, okay, what's happening here? What is Jesus trying to teach me here? I believe in this twist. Jesus is teaching us that there's a difference in perspective between the man and God. And it's perspective not exclusively just about wealth or possessions, but it's, it's a perspective on life, how we view life, how we choose to live our lives, and what we live for. You see, the man's perspective was take care of myself, right? He says, I've worked hard enough. I've earned all that I need. So now that I've reached that point, I can sit back and relax. And that doesn't seem like a bad perspective, does it? And I would argue it's not a bad perspective. We want people to work hard. We want people to be able to take care of themselves. That's not a bad perspective. But it's also not enough. I believe that, that God's calling this a narrow perspective. And that God has a broader perspective this is God's perspective in the parable. Take care of oneself and one's community. You see, this man thought that he got to a stopping point when he earned enough to simply take care of himself and his own needs. But God is saying, no, that's not your stopping point. That's your starting point. Because if you've had that much success, now you can help take care of your neighbor too. You can think of the community. You can broaden your perspective. It's almost like God is saying, when you look at your life and what you're living for, life is not just about building bigger barns, but maybe it's making sure that everyone has at least a small dwelling to call home. Yes, this man, in his narrow idea of success, thought, as long as I'm okay, then life is okay. But God makes the point that our needs are never truly separate from our community's needs. Yes, this is a broader perspective of how to care, not just for oneself, but for one another as well. One commentator puts it this way. He says, the farmer had no business stopping at the point where his own future had been assured by the windfall of an unusually good crop. At this point, his responsibilities had only just begun. That's a shift in perspective, isn't it? I would guess for most of us, we're taught, get a good job, work hard to take care of yourself. And that's a starting point. That's not the ending point. Because then we need to take care of one another as well. Yes, we're told that our lives are truly held in trust to God. That's the big point that's being made in this section here where it says, but God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. This parable is telling us that our, our whole lives are truly held in trust to God. None of us chose when to be born. We didn't pick a day on the calendar and say, this is when I'm going to enter existence. None of us will choose when we die either. And in between that time, this life that we get to live, every breath we take is sustained by God. Yes, our lives are lived in trust. 
What does it mean when something is held in trust? It's kind of a legal term, isn't it? Where maybe if you're given a house and you're holding it in trust, that house is not yours. You take care of it as if it was your own, but there's another owner out there. That's how we should view our lives. Where God is truly the owner and author of our lives, and we hold them in trust. Which means that that we should live not just for ourselves, but for God. And God's priorities and God's perspective in life. That's what this parable is all about. And I really love how the parable ends. Here's Jesus' summary statement. Jesus says, This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. I thought, what a neat concept, being rich towards God. And what does that look like? It probably looks different for each and every one of us. But the bottom line for this parable is that when we think only of our own success, God says that's too narrow a vision or definition of success. We need to broaden it to encompass really our whole community. And so life shouldn't be lived just for you, but it should also be lived for the person next to you that you're sitting with right now. It should also be lived for all of you who are watching wherever you are. It should be lived for your your neighborhoods, your physical neighbors. It should be lived for those people that you've never met before in other parts of Denver. And I know what you're thinking. You're saying, David, I can't be responsible for all of those people. And you're right. You can't. But can you adopt the perspective that we live for more than just oneself? Because if you have that perspective, then you realize that God is going to place people into your lives that then you can help because you'll be looking for it. You won't just be living for you. Remember at the beginning of the parable, or sorry, beginning of the sermon, when I said sometimes things seem beautiful on the surface, but then when you dig into them, you go, no, there's more to it than that. Well, it seems right to say, let me live for myself and take care of myself. Let me build bigger barns. That seems good, but then when you lean into that, you realize, no, there's more to life than just living for me. There's more to life than just building bigger barns. I'm holding this life in trust to God, and God has given me a broader perspective that encompasses the community And this, this is how God defines success. Amen. If you would like more information about Unity Presbyterian Church, please visit our website at www.unitypres.org or visit us on Facebook. This is the Unity Presbyterian Church Podcast. Have a great week.